the 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a terrific podcast for you. Coming up in the second segment, we're going to be joined by my good buddy Jeff Parles doing absolutely superb work. We're a book at HQ. He does the parlay cast for them, and we're going to be talking to him in the second segment about all that we're seeing on the MLB betting board for Thursday. We're also going to be talking to him about what we might expect this postseason, anything with regards to the futures market that might be catching his eye. So we're going to be talking with him then, and in the final segment, I'm going to be giving you guys a sign total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for Thursday, and something I like to call it them all. First things first, love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you'd like answered, fire that in my Twitter timeline at JarenScorty1. If you send these via direct message, well, letters EM to me mean does not matter. We did not get in any questions today, but we certainly had another fascinating day of Major League Baseball on Wednesday, so let's take a look back at all those results, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. Not only was the Angels versus Padres game the first game on the betting board, it was also perhaps the most interesting because with the Angels, they were able to get the 5-2 win over the San Diego Padres, so there certainly was that, but bigger than that, Mike Clevenger wound up getting the start for the Padres. He had had his start pushed back a little bit. He pitched a very solid inning. He got two strikeouts in the first inning, looked terrific. He was pulled out of the start, and it is feared that due to a biceps injury, he might be out for the entire postseason, so that is not good. Then Adrian Motajon comes into this game, and he gives up three home runs, four total runs in an inning. The bullpen from there for the Padres was able to stabilize. They used a grand total of six guys that cobble up a grand total of seven innings, and Craig Zaman gave up a run, and that was about it. So that was actually good. And for the San Diego Padres, they wind up chasing Jaime Barilla very early in his start as Eric Cosmer was able to go deep off of him before Jaime Barilla was out of the game. He wound up going two innings, giving up two runs in the process, 32 pitches, and for Hosmer, his ninth home run of the season. But Patrick Sandoval, Matt Andres, Mike Myers, Felix Pena, a combined seven innings. They don't give up a single run in the process. This is a Padres team that they just have not been generating a lot of offense. And then when it comes to the home runs that Morajon wound up giving up, Joey Otani, his seventh home run of the campaign, Anthony Benboom, his third, and Justin Upton, his eighth. So not necessarily the who's who for the LA Angels, so that was a little bit brutal. What else is very brutal is how things are going for the defending champs. The Washington Nationals, as they get absolutely destroyed by the Philadelphia Phillies by kind of 12 to 3. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were able to play some deep ball. Bryce Harper is 12th and 13th home runs of the campaign. Those both came off of Eric Fetty Wap. It was Kyle McGowan serving one up to Mr. Andrew McClutchin, his ninth home run of the campaign. We all go euphorious whenever Didi Gregorius gets home run. It's 10th of the season that came off of Ryan Harper. And then Austin Knapp gets one off of Harper as well. His second home run of the campaign for the Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap completed seven innings, giving up those two home runs. He gave up three runs. And then from there, Ryan Harper gives up six runs while recording two outs. So Kyle McGowan gave up three runs in an inning. And it was Brock Holt who was sent in for the second time in less than a week. He wound up getting the final out. I mean, what an embarrassment for the Washington Nationals. Their lone form of brightness, Juan Soto, his 13th home run of the campaign, is for the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin was Eflin decent. 
eight innings, gave up three runs. Now, the fact they gave the team eight innings was very big because we know that this Phillies bullpen is terrible. Connor Brogdon came up from there, and he was able to hold down the fort. So that helps out a team that is looking for the postseason. Another pair of teams that are looking for the postseason in the National League. That'd be the Reds and the Brewers. And we were on to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati was on to a 6-1 win. If you were holding an over ticket like myself, all seven of these runs came in the first five innings of the game, and the Milwaukee Brewers wind up going one of five with men in scoring position, squandering men with first and third in the sixth inning with no outs. You could tell that I was on the over in this one. I mean, it was absolutely brutal. Castanero wound up having a fielding error, and it did not help out Adrian Hauser, who for, I believe, the seventh straight start gave up at least four runs. He gave up four runs, three of which were earned in four and a third innings, giving up two home runs. Alex Claudio gave up a home run while he recorded two outs, giving up two runs in the process. Eric Yardley, Corey Knable, along with the newly reinserted Ray Black, were all able to give a scoreless inning for the Cincinnati Reds. Deep balls came off the bat of Joey Votto, his 11th home run of the campaign. Joaquin Yosuda is his 15th, and and Jesse Winker is 12th for Trevor Bauer. He is looking for the Cy Young, and he may have cemented it on Wednesday. Eight innings, gave up one run, punched out 12. And then from there, Wade Miley had a party in the ninth inning instead of USA as he winds up going an inning, giving up one run. Very nearly gave up a home run to Daniel Vogelback, but the ballpark wound up holding it. So there was that. Another team that's looking for the postseason in the National League. That would be the San Francisco Giants and the Yantes take down the Colorado Rockies by a count of 7-2. The Yantes wound up going with an opener. So if you had Logan Webb on a pitcher-dependent bet, well, wound up getting voided out as Webb wound up after the opener of Caleb Barger. And Barger winds up giving up nothing in an inning. So he did a solid job there. But for Webb, he did give up seven hits, but he only gave up two runs in the process. Then from there, Tony Watson, Tyler Rogers, Sam Selman, they close the door. Two and two-thirds innings, giving up just one hit in the process. And for the Giants, they're currently playing without Mickey Stremski, but they were able to get some offense in this one. Mauricio Dubon, his third home run of the campaign, and Evan Longoria is seventh. The home run from Longoria came off of Ryan Kesselani, and boy, it has not been going well for him. Gives up four runs in four and two-thirds innings. 582 ERA, Yancy Almonte winds up giving up the home run to Mr. Dubon. He gives up one run in four outs. Xavier Estevez was able to come in for a scoreless inning along with Tommy Doyle. Doyle rules as he winds up giving up nothing in his first ever outing on a major league mound. And for the Colorado Rockies, 1 of 11 with runners in scoring position. So a big thanks to nothing to them. And a big thanks to nothing for the St. Louis Cardinals, another team looking for the postseason. They wind up losing to the Kansas City Royals by a count of 12 to 3 for the St. Louis Cardinals. Carlos Martinez. Oh boy. He gave up eight runs over the course of five innings. Now is a 9.90 ERA. So apparently it's on sale, judging by the numbers. Then from there, Seth Alledge winds up giving up three runs in an inning. You wind up having Jake Woodford closing out the eighth inning without a run given up. And Cody Whitley winds up giving up a run in an inning as well for the St. Louis Cardinals, who have seven with men in scoring position. And for the Royals, a pretty solid start here out of the Duffman. He delivered five and two-thirds innings, giving up one run. You did have Mr. Blewett, Scott Blewett, giving up two runs in an inning. So the lead was so big that he couldn't blow it. But with that said, it's just obviously very funny to have that name. But for the Kansas City Royals, how about Salvador Perez going deep not once but twice? Ninth and tenth home runs of the campaign. He's still hitting above a 350. He has been under the radar. And then you have Frenchy Cordero getting his first two home runs of the year. It's one of those things where it's like from Star Wars. I haven't heard that name in a very, very long time. And he was able to get things firing in all cylinders. 
I think the Mets have now been mathematically eliminated from the postseason. They wind up losing to the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 8-5. to five. Tyler Glass, though, another good start for the Rays. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Both runs they gave up were solo home runs. Going deep for the New York Metropolitans in this one. You had Dom Smith, his 10th home run of the campaign. Andres Jimenez, his third. And for Adam Frazier, he winds up going deep off of Oliver Drake a little bit later in this game for his second. For the Metropolitans, Michael Waka wound up going Waka, 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 Ch-ch-ch. as I use my dying Pac-Man voice for both his ERA and for the rest of the year for the team. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs off, which weren't including two home runs. Jason Shrave was chased for three runs, giving up one out. He gave up a home run, and then Steven Matz came in for relief. He gave up a home run in an inning as well. And for the New York Metropolitans, those home runs were given up to Joey Wendell, his fourth of the campaign. Randy Autozarana, his sixth and seventh home runs of the campaign. And then you also had Brandon Lau going deep for his 14th home run of the season for the Tampa Bay Rays. He did have Oliver Drake giving up three runs out of the bullpen, but Ryan Sheriff, Peter Fairbanks, Nick Anderson, they were able to do their jobs, and the Tampa Bay Rays looking for that one seat out there in the American League. The Baltimore Orioles a few weeks ago were looking for a playoff spot. That is not going to be happening, and the offense now in a scuffle. They have now scored three runs or fewer in each other last five games. They get held down by the Boston Red Sox by a count of 9-1 for the Baltimore Orioles. This was not what they were hoping for out of Dean Kremer. He entered into this game with an ERA of two or lower, giving up one run in each out of his first three starts. He gave up seven and two and two-thirds innings, including two home runs. And I find this to be absolutely ridiculous. Bruce Zimmerman winds up coming into this game. He gets five strikeouts in four innings, giving up a one run. Some very good long relief. So I give him quite a bit of credit. And then you wind up having Brendan Klein coming in. He gives up a one run in one and a third innings for the Baltimore Orioles. Austin, the CAA's kid, winds up getting his third home run on the campaign. That came off of Mike Kickham as the team left 10 men on base. And for the Boston Red Sox, Kickham winds up giving up that one run in one and a third innings. Jeffrey Springs winds up recording five outs. He doesn't give up a run, but Nathan Eovaldi looked terrific. Six innings pitch. He did give up seven hits and a walk, but punch out eight, did not give up a single run. And for the Boston Red Sox, they do all this damage without getting a single home run. So nice little small ball there. The Detroit Tigers were able to play a little bit of long ball, and they very nearly took down the Minnesota Twins. The Twins at some places reached as high as minus 375 favorite. Now, Kenta Maeda is good, but, I mean, he's not that good. If you wind up taking the run line with the Minnesota Twins, a three-run home run from Miguel Cabrera really did you in, as it was a 7-6 final for Cabrera. He goes deep twice, once off of Maeda, and then once in the ninth inning off of Submergio Romo. So he submergioed your run line as Cabrera. Six RBI to go along with those two home runs, and the Detroit Tigers could have actually won this game as they had the bases loaded late in this one in, I believe it was the 7th inning. It might have been the 6th, but they were unable to do anything with it for Casey Mize. He got blown up. 4 and 2 thirds innings. He gives up 6 runs. Bullpen from there was actually good. Ronnie Garcia along Nick Ramirez. A combined 3 and a third innings giving up 1 run. And for the Minnesota Twins, they were able to get some power in this one. Eddie Rosario collects his 13th home run of the campaign. That came off of Mr. Mize. Jake Cave, who has been in a cave of a bad batting average. He winds up going deep twice in this one. Once off of Ramirez, once off of Mize. His third and fourth home runs of the campaign. And for Kenta Maeda, quality start. Nine punch outs. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings. But then from there, Matt Whistler wound up loading up the bases, giving up three hits and a third of an inning. Tyler Clipper got out of that. And then you wind up having the combination of Sergio Romo and Caleb Theobar giving up those three runs in the ninth inning as that became a massive sweat. So 
That was obviously very intriguing for the Minnesota Twins. They entered into this game the top home under team in all of Major League Baseball, so that was very intriguing. The Dodgers have been just the best team in baseball in general, but they wind up losing to the Oakland A's by kind of 6-4 for Sean Manea. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings, giving up a pair of home runs. Jake Diekman was also taking yard in this one, going deep for the LA Dodgers. Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger both collect their 12th home runs of the campaign, and for Edwin Rios, he winds up getting his sixth. But Joe Kelly wound up getting the open in this one. Gave up three runs, two of which were earned in an inning. Pursuta Gratal winds up coming in for a scoreless inning. They probably should have just let Mr. Julio Arias start and not have an opener come in for him. One run given up in six innings. Blake Tryon then gives up a home run, two total runs in the ninth. That winds up just destroying this game as Ramon Laureano, someone who's hitting like a 218 for the year, but has a 350 on base, winds up getting his sixth home run of the campaign. And then for the A's bullpen, it was pretty solid. Jake Diekman did give up that solo home run, but Liam Hendricks, his 14th save, Joaquin Soria, also a solid ending out of the bullpen. Speaking of solid, that is exactly what we saw from the Seattle Mariners on Wednesday. They take down the Houston Astros by a count of 3-2. to two. For Zach Granke, he has now given up 3-plus runs in each out of his last 7 starts. 4 and 2 thirds innings, gives up 3 runs. Andre Scrub, along with Cy Sneed and Blake Taylor, wound up doing a better job for this team. He combined 3 and a third innings, giving up 1 hit, no earned runs. And for the Houston Astros, 1 of 9 with men in scoring position. Squandered opportunities for the Seattle Mariners. Nick Metagovicious, a a very vicious start. Six innings of scoreless baseball. He did have Yoshi Arano give up two runs late in this game, but he winds up being able to get the save as Kendall Graveman and Austin Mitchevich. Two scoreless innings out of the bullpen for them, and for the Seattle Mariners, they also left 10 men on base. No home runs for them, but for the Seattle Mariners, they've been one of the best over teams on the road. They've been one of the better home under teams as well. That trend wound up continuing. Another trend that winds up continuing, the Cleveland Indians walking off on the Chicago White Sox. 3-2, the Windians wind up being able to get the win in this one for the Chicago White Sox. No home runs in this one. They go 0-5 with runners in scoring position, but Lucas Giolito, a very good start in this one. He goes six innings, punches out 11, gives up two runs, and then from there, Garrett Crochet winds up throwing 100 miles an hour for like every one of his pitches, 15 total pitches, scoreless inning from him. Cody Hewer, a scoreless inning, and then Gio Gonzalez winds up giving up a walk-off home run to Jordan Luplo. And for Luplo, his second home run of the season, and then Carlos Santana went deep earlier in the game off of Lucas Giolito for his seventh and for Shane Bieber. Only five Five innings in this one. He punched out 10, but the walks got him into a little bit of trouble as he had three of them. He was also hurt by the fielding as you had Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez both commit fielding errors, so the one run that he gave up was unearned. James Karinczak gave up around the bullpen, but Tristan McKenzie looks like he's going to be that Swiss Army knife for the Cleveland Indians. Two scoreless innings from him. Brad Ann was able to get the win in this one as he pitched the ninth inning, so very interesting result there. The Arizona Diamondbacks have not generated a lot of offense so far this year, but the Texas Rangers, they are dead last in the American League when it comes to scoring runs, and it was the Arizona Diamondbacks that used a six spot in the sixth to be able to get a 7-3 win for Wes Benjamin. Not a bad start here for the Rangers. He does give up three runs over the course of five innings, including a home run, but Nick Goody winds up giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning, and Brett Martin gives up a home run as well in two-thirds of an inning, so that was not necessarily terrific for the Texas Rangers, one of seven with men in scoring position, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Alex Young. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of five innings, but to the surprise of, I would say, the entire nation, Curry Malala, along with Yoan Lopez, Travis Bergen, and Stefan Kicktrin, all give the team scoreless innings, giving up just one hit in the process and for the years in the Diamondbacks. They were able to get a pair of home runs off of Wyatt Matheson's bat. His first two home runs of his career and season. Tim LeCaster winds up going deep off of Mr. Martin as well for his second home run of the season. So, very interesting result out there between a pair of teams that, let's face it, they did not live up to their season win total. 
as the Pittsburgh Pirates did not as well as I gave that out on the podcast to go under, but they wind up being able to get a very tight win on Wednesday by kind of two to one for Trevor Williams. Guy that has been absolutely terrible all year long. Perhaps his best start of the year. Five and two thirds innings, he gives up one run. That one home run was a solo shot by Anthony Rizzo in the first inning for Rizzo's 11th home run of the campaign. And for both of these teams, all three of these runs for the game were scored in the first inning. So this game completely died afterwards for the Chicago Cubs. They leave nine men on base ever since going 13 and two to begin the year. I believe that they are now 21 and 22. So. That has not been necessarily terrific. And for Kyle Hendricks, I mean, he's not necessarily the same pitcher away from regularly field as he is at home, but tough luck loser here. He winds up giving up two solo home runs in seven and two-thirds innings. Craig Kimbrell gets the final out from there. So, I mean, Kyle Hendricks did his job. For the Cubs, they wind up getting, I believe it's three stolen bases for them, but the Pittsburgh Pirates just kept on holding every time they had an opportunity. Adam Frazier winds up getting in a sixth home run campaign. Cabrian Hayes is fourth. That's all that the team needed as Richard Rodriguez, along with Chris Stratton, Nick Turley, Austin Davis, were able to hold down the fourth for three and a third innings of scoreless baseball, giving up just two hits in the process. So, very strange and interesting result there. This was strange and interesting in that the team that put up the 14 is not who you'd expect. The Toronto Blue Jays absolutely slap around the New York Yankees on Wednesday by a count of 14 to 1 for the Yankees. They go 1 of 7 with behind the scoring position. Wouldn't have done much anyway if they would have done something with it because Masahiro Tanaka got Tanaka around. Five runs, three of which were earned, given up in four innings. Luis Sessa then comes in for four outs. He gives up four runs. Eric Kratz gave up one run in the eighth inning, and Tyler Lyons winds up getting a 21-60 ERA coming out of this. He winds up getting five outs. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And for the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, pair of home runs in this one from Danny Jansen. He winds up going deep for his fifth and sixth home runs of the season, but it was just a collective for this team. 7 of 17 with men in scoring position. Robbie Ray, he winds up jacking up his pitch count once again, but he only gives up one run in four innings. From there, A.J. Cole was able to give the team a solid inning and Ross Tripling a four inning save. I can't remember the Last time I've seen a four-inning save, but that's exactly what we had on Wednesday. It's 2020. Strange things are certainly happening. And by strange things happening, I mean that we are actually seeing a little bit of something coming about for the Miami Marlins, but that was not necessarily the case on Wednesday as the Atlanta Bravos were able to take them down by a count of 9-4. Not the pitcher's will that we were expecting at 6 of Sanchez. Winds up going three innings. He gives up four runs in the process. And then Josh Smith what came in to relieve him. And he gave up five runs in an inning. That was not a good decision. Meanwhile, Sean Tarpley and Yimi Garcia were both able to pitch scoreless innings. Nick Neidert was able to come in for two scoreless as well. And for the Miami Marlins, this is a team that got a pair of home runs in this one. Both in the first inning. A.C. Seguiar is seventh of the campaign. And then Brett Anderson is seventh. Those both came off of Max Freed. Max Freed wound up leaving this game after one inning with an injury, giving up those two home runs. Luke Jackson might actually be used as a starter. He went four innings in relief, and he actually looked solid. He gave up two runs in the process, five punch-outs. And then for there. You have Shane Green along with Grant Dayton, both giving the team a combined three innings of relief, and Jacob Webb, also an inning of relief. And for the Atlanta Braves, you were able to get a home run off the bat of Densby Swanson, his ninth home run on the campaign as the Atlanta Braves look like they are cruising their way to the National League East title. And we are cruising our way to being able to look at this entire regular season in baseball. But as you guys know, all sports are really back into our lives, and my bookie is the best place to be able to wager on a little bit of everything, whether you're fancy is this right here, Major League Baseball, along with college basketball, which is going to be back on November 25th, or if it's maybe the NFL, college football, and we're going to see the SEC and Big Ten back before we know it. You've also got the NHL Stanley Cup going on, NBA playoffs, what have you. 
And the best way to be able to wager on all these games is by going to my bookie, making your first deposit of up to $1,000, and type in the promo code GREG. That is my name, G-R-E-G. Nothing special, no symbols, characters, anything like that, just my name. And you get your first deposit doubled up to $1,000. Rollover does apply, but that is very nice. And as you guys know, on this podcast, along with my other podcasts in which I break down all these games, I typically just give out the side in total. But at my bookie, you're able to get player props, futures, parlays, what have you. So they've got a little bit of everything. And a man that always provides a little bit of everything on this podcast That would be Jeff Parles. We're going to be talking to him next about the card that we are seeing for Thursday and just the playoff races and teams that you think might have a little bit of value when it comes to World Series futures. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, and it is great to be joined by our next guest. This man is doing a great job with the Parlay Cast at Book It HQ. He is a gentleman that just does a little bit of everything, and he does so, so well. It is Jeff Parles. Jeff is a man that is very well-traveled. He spent some time out here in Las Vegas, the state of Missouri. Now he's out there in the great state of New Jersey, and you're able to follow him on Twitter. At Jeff Parles, that last name is spelled P-A-R-L-E-S. Jeff, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Greg, it's always a pleasure to join you, buddy. Awesome, and it is always a pleasure to have postseason baseball in our lives, and it's going to be coming within the next couple days, but it is going to be very fascinating to see how we get there right now. The National League playoff picture is a big, giant mess. The Philadelphia Phillies a couple days ago, Last that double dip against Washington Nationals put their hopes in a little bit of peril. The Milwaukee Brewers lose two of three against the Cincinnati Reds, who all of a sudden look like they're in the driver's seat. And you've got the St. Louis Cardinals in the middle of 20 games in 15 days, and they have to play against the Brewers. How do you take a look at this National League playoff picture? Because I do think that it's so fascinating because you've got just a bunch of teams fighting for a couple spots, not to mention the San Francisco Giants, who on Thursday are going to be playing against the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, Greg, I want to say when I was on with you a few weeks ago, we actually discussed if the Cardinals would have anything left in the tank. And we asked that question, and you know what? It's looking like it's going to legitimately come down to the last day of the season to see if they have anything left in the tank to get themselves in there. They still have a doubleheader against the Tigers. They technically would be able to make up on the Monday after, too. So a lot of chaos potential in the NL. Trevor Bauer might have shown up to Cy Young for the Reds. I think they're going to end up with the two-seed in the division. So I guess that would be the six seed or the five seed, depending on how Miami ends up closing out in the NL East, if they do close out, because that may get tight, because the Marlins play the Yankees over the weekend. And even if the Yankees are not uh, trying to win those games, it may be a scenario where they do. So real big mess. I will say too, your Brewers, it's kind of miraculous. Your Brewers have hung around like they have. They could not hit the baseball for a better portion of two and a half weeks, Greg. And they're still in this thing. So a lot of chaos in an NL wild card chase. Giants, who are supposed to be terrible, as you said, going into the year, are in it too. So I expect a lot of chaos over these last few days. But when it's all said and done, I expect the Reds to get the two in the Central. I expect one of the two Central teams of the Cardinals or the Brewers, because they played that last series of the year in St. Louis, I actually think the Cardinals will end up holding on and getting the seventh seed, and then the Giants sneak in 
get the eight seed so he get Dodgers-Giants in the first round of the playoffs. I do think that this last series of the season between the Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals is going to be so intriguing, as we do have Jeff Parles joining me on the podcast, because on Thursday, you've got a barn burner or a pitching matchup. Corbin Burns is going to be going for the Brewers. Quan Young Kim is going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals. pair of guys with an ERA below a buck 80 now with Kim. He winds up getting hit a little bit against the Pittsburgh Pirates in his last start, but by and large, he has been very solid. Not much swing and miss, but he just does a great job of limiting the hard contact, keeping the ball in the yard, and then for Corbin Burns. Buck 77 ERA. You want to talk about maybe a sleeper for the Cy Young? I don't think Burns gets it, but I think he could get into the top five as he's given up one home run in 56 innings, and this is the St. Louis Cardinals team that they're really running out of steam when they take a look at the offensive end as well. They just have not been able to hit the ball recently. The Milwaukee Brewers, you said that they haven't been able to hit the ball for like a two-and-a-half-week stretch. It's more like the whole year, Jeff. I've been watching this team. This <laughs> offense is absolutely terrible. And with this total of seven-and-a-half, I take a look at it, and I actually gravitate to the under here. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we love the seven-and-a-half. So you bring up a good point on Corbin Burns, who, again, beginning of the year, couldn't really throw a strike. Had some really like explosive strikeout games, but also walked the ballpark. But he's really... Coming to his own. I think he'll come up short in the Cy Young race. Just not enough people paying attention to how good he's been. And also, again, like I mentioned before, that should be the top two, Bauer and DeGrom. If you say Bauer wins it fine with me, if you say DeGrom wins it fine with me. But I agree with you. I would gravitate towards the under in this game later today, even though it is a low number of seven and a half. Yeah, it certainly is going to be a good pitching matchup, in my opinion. And when you get those two offenses out there, it certainly does help as well. And what else has been very helpful is what we're all noticing from the Oakland A's this year. It's been a very intriguing team in that they're in the bottom eight in the big leagues when it comes to batting average. But when it comes to the amount of runs that they produce per at-bat, they've actually been very good. And then you take a look at Walker Buehler. He has been doing a tremendous job of pitching at home on the road. It's been a little bit of a different story. This is a game that obviously is going to be taking place in Los Angeles, as I'm seeing it right now. Oakland A's between about a plus 170 to a plus 180 underdog. And I think that this one's intriguing because Mike Fires is notorious for slow starts. Got off to a little bit of one this year, but he's been very good recently. We know that the Dodgers, they've got the one seed sewn up. And I think that it's just such a fascinating spot because we know that there is this strange postseason in which home field really doesn't matter because you wind up having no fans. And really the only series that you have home field for is going to be that first series of the postseason in which you've got that three-game series against the lower-seeded team. So I just wonder what we are going to be able to get out of the L.A. Dodgers in this spot. And I do think that this is perhaps a very good spot to be taking a look at an underdog in the Oakland A's that they, too, wound up winning their division. For these two teams, it actually plays like a regular last week of the season. These games against teams that have already clinched, the Dodgers are locked into the one seed in the NL. The A's, look, they're probably not moving up higher than the two in the AL. I think that's probably where they'll peak. But let's be real, Greg. If I'm Oakland, I'd rather have the three than the two because you end up with Houston if you get the three seed in the AL because of the ridiculous format where it doesn't matter that the Astros will end up with a worse record than whoever finishes third in the AL Central. They still get the six seed. So I'd much rather have the three if I were Oakland than the two. Again, it's one of those strange scenarios where losing for Oakland is not a big deal in this game. And it certainly is a little bit of a lack of motivation spot as well as we do have Jeff Parles joining me on the podcast. And Jeff, I know you're someone that you follow the New York Mets very closely. They're going to have an interesting game against Washington Nationals for Thursday. Patrick Corbin is going to be going for them. Patrick Corbin 
It's had a rough year. David Peterson has actually been a nice surprise for the New York Mets. Aside from really that first true start they had coming off the injured list, He's actually been a very solid pitcher for them, and as we're seeing it right now, New York Mets, a slight favorite anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, moving around a little bit as we do this podcast. What's been your thoughts on the Mets in general, who obviously they're going to need just a bevy of support, and they're going to need to win out to have any prayer of the postseason whatsoever, and David Peterson, because the Mets certainly have had some letdowns this year, but I've actually liked what I've seen out of Mr. Peterson, especially that last name. I was going to say, maybe the long-lost cousin of you. Look, I'll say this more than anything. The Mets wasted another great year from DeGrom. Michael Conforto was phenomenal in this shortened season. Then The Mets are not going to make the playoffs. They needed to win last night against Tampa. They realistically needed to get to 30 and 30 to have a chance. And their season is toast. So I would lean towards Washington in this one just because the Mets will probably be, and they won't be officially eliminated, but they know what they were up against. It's overbarring. The miracle of miracles for them. So I would lean Washington spot, Greg. Oh, I'm right there with you as we do have Jeff Parles of Book at HQ joining me on the podcast. And Jeff, when you just take a look at everything that we've noticed in general when it comes to Major League Baseball, a little bit more of a long-term view when it comes to the futures, is there anything that you're really looking at with regards to the World Series? Because I do think that the New York Yankees, who you can find at right around 6-1-ish to one-ish at a lot of spots, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. That is going to be very intriguing. And then obviously you've got the short shot of the L.A. Dodgers. We know that there's going to be a lot of people are going to be taking a look at them. But I think that this World Series race is going to be very haywire. And I think that if there is going to be a year for just absolute calamity, it is going to be this year because you wind up having 16 teams in the postseason. And we've seen it so many times with the Dodgers taking just big upsets. I mean, heck, if you wind up getting like the Milwaukee Brewers, for example, in a three-game series, they trot out their Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. I mean, that's two games that you could legitimately lose if you're the Dodgers. Yeah, look, again, my whole thing with these expanded baseball playoffs and the fact that they sound like they're going to do them again next year is ridiculous because of the scenario you just brought up. How much are the owners going to like it? If the number one seed and most dominant team in the second biggest media market in the country in LA goes out as a one seed and plays like take Milwaukee. That's actually a much better example than even the Giants would be in this spot because at least you're getting the Bay Area market and a team that has won multiple World Series in the past decade. But you get a Milwaukee team that goes in there and beats them and then all of a sudden, all right, great. We now, instead of having this mammoth Padres-Dodgers matchup that we were all hoping for, we're stuck with the Brewers and the Padres or maybe even worse, we're stuck with the Brewers and the Marlins in the NLDS. That would not be good for anybody here. And look, just looking at the futures, Greg, the play was really last week on Cincinnati when they were upwards of 60 to 1 to win it all just because of how good their rotation is. I still like it at 40. I think that's still probably reasonable value on the Reds just because of their good pitching and in a short series. That's dangerous. I know Castile hasn't been quite as good as he was a year ago. But we already talked about Bauer. He probably should win the NL Cy Young. They're the team. That's the team I would look at. And I'm going to tell you, Greg, I'm just going to sit pretty with my 40 to 1 on the Padres and just hope they don't go out in the best of three. Because <laughs> I'll take my chances with them in a five game series against the Dodgers. And if they win that, they are the favorites to get out of the NL, regardless of who wins that other series. Oh, I absolutely do not blame you. The San Diego Padres. They certainly have been a little bit more famine with the bats. I know that Fernando Tatis Jr. has been in a little bit of a slide recently, but man, that is going to be fascinating. And Greg, the only concern with them, you just brought it up, they're strikeout happy. That is a strikeout happy team, and we have seen strikeout happy teams in the past 
go out earlier than they should in the postseason. So that would be my one worry with the Padres, at least in the three-game series. Again, they might get lucky and they might draw the Marlins, but if they don't get lucky and they draw Cincinnati in the 4-5, that's a horrendous matchup for them. And we do know this as well. We saw Mike Clevenger wind up making his start on Wednesday. He looks solid for an inning, but right now there's fear that he's going to be missing for the entire postseason due to that injury, I believe it was to his bicep that wound up flaring up again. And that's something else that you need to overcome with the San Diego Padres, and it's a big reason why I pretty much have just sat out of futures all year long because you don't know what's going to happen with COVID and everything like that. seems like knock on whatever in the heck I'm recording this podcast on and I have my computer on and everything like that. That doesn't wind up flaring up again. But obviously, with the short ramp-up time, we've seen more injuries this year than ever before, especially to pitchers. Well, I mean, you're seeing it in every sport that oh, yes. come back. You're seeing it down the NFL, You always see the injuries early in football season. But last week was as bad of a week as I can ever remember. And look, especially in baseball. Now, this will be interesting, though, Greg, because the teams that make it healthy to the postseason and through the postseason – you think of it this way. The teams that are making it to the championship series and the World Series are really playing about game 80 or 90. So perfectly at the midway point. So hypothetically, Greg, thinking about it from that perspective, they should be fresh. But the way this year has gone for everyone in society in general and sports teams, a 60-game season has felt like 260, Greg. It's a scenario where mentally, actually, I'm more concerned about just the mental aspect of this especially since they're going to a postseason bubble, and they have not been bubbled all year. So it's a new experience for these guys as well, playing in unfamiliar ballparks for the AL teams and the NL teams until the World Series. And actually, well, for the AL teams, unless if it was an AL West team that makes the World Series, they'll be at the ballpark that none of them have played in before in a new place in Arlington. It's going to be very, very bizarre to handicap this postseason, Greg. Because obviously it's going to be like something we have never seen before and hopefully something we'll never have to deal with or see again. Hey, on the introduction of my podcast, it does say that it's a season unlike any that we've ever seen before. So I guess that whoever wound up writing up those notes knew what he was talking about a little bit. As we do have Jeff Farrell's ready to be on the podcast. (laughs) And Jeff, when you take a look at the board for Thursday, is there any other games that we haven't really hit on that really does catch your eye? Because we actually have some very good matchups for Thursday. A little bit of a shorter card, but I actually like what we're seeing just with regards to a quality matchup standpoint. You know what, Greg? I would probably say more than anything. I know we talked about White Sox and Indians already. You know what, actually, Greg? I'll give you this. I'll actually go under in Kansas City and Detroit. I like Boobchick. Uh, I, I know Boobich. that's how uh, it's uh, pronounced it. It's, isn't it pronounced like Donsich? I don't know. No. Nope. I don't know. I, I, okay. I, I like that. The, my pronouncer better than the actual one there, Greg. I'll go under in that game. Two teams that are just trying to get to the end of the season without anyone getting severely ill at this point. Might be a lot of swings and misses and a lot of guys just rolling over at bat. So I'll go under nine and a half. And interestingly enough, Chris Bubich, the top pitcher to the under so far this year. Every one of his starts is one under because... The Royals have provided with him with three runs or fewer of support in every one of his starts so far this year. So I find that ah, to be very to- toast then, Greg. We're due for an over in a boobage start. Uh, it's a boobage trap. I'm telling you, it's going to be tough. But with that good, said, good, good job, Greg. Good job. Good job. <laughs> you set me up and I throw it down just like you're throwing down some absolutely terrific work with Book at HQ. You do the parlay cast. I know you're doing some great work with Sean Cavanaugh, someone that 
we are buddies with and someone that did terrific work over there with the Fag and Science and Information Network as well. So let the good people at home just know where they're able to find the Parlay cast, what you're all working on, and so much more. Yeah, at Jeff Parles on the tweet. So that's actually where you'll find the Parlay cast too. Yeah. Uh, streaming live every day. Actually, a little bit later today, Greg, because it's Monday and Thursday. It'll be 2.10 Eastern, 11.10 a.m. Pacific. Actually, we'll, I'll promote the podcast coming later later today. Anyway, another one of our former co-workers at VSIN, Sam Panionovich is going to join the program. Sammy P. Yeah, yeah. So uh, SB Shoot will be on there for us today. And look, obviously, I'm now with the Book It Sports. The app is in beta testing starting next week, which is very exciting. The app launches on November 1st. Greg, I'll tell you, it's really going to be like an Instagram of sports betting. Definitely be tuned into that. All the updates at Book It HQ on the tweets and also on Instagram and Facebook. We're really excited. Trent and the gang in, uh, in Reno really have worked their tail off for the past few months to get this thing ready. And we're going to be ready to roll and rocking and rolling on the 1st of November. Absolutely. And I'm lucky enough to be talking with another man that has been working his tail off. That'd be you, Jeff. Always great to get Jeff Parles on the podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time they give you a side total on every game on Thursday's MLB betting board. It's something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, a big thanks to Jeff Barles of Book at HQ for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the Thursday MLB betting board and something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at jarenscordy1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and it looks like of the 11 games for Thursday, we've only got one off the board in Yankees versus Blue Jays, so we're actually doing quite well there. And we're going to be beginning on the West Coast with 951-952 on the betting board. Kevin Gallesman and the San Francisco Giants, a.k.a. the Yantes, are going to be playing host the Colorado Rockies. Gigi Gonzalez going to be going for the Rockies against Kevin Gosman. Your total on this game is between 9 and 8.5. On the 9, under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. On the 8.5, over is minus 115. Under is minus 105. And if you're looking at the Rockies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 195 and plus 205. And if you're looking at the Giants, you're going to be laying as low as minus 215, as high as a minus 240, certainly. A huge take here on Kevin Gosman. I mean, Kevin Gosman's been good, but he's 3-3 three three with a 3.76 ERA, and we're finding him as north of a $2 favorite. This just seems to have gotten a little bit out of whack. Now, you got to love this for Kevin Gosman. Two runs or fewer given up in each out of his last four starts, and at least five strikeouts in every one of them as well. So he's been doing a good job there, but he does get a little bit loose with the walks. In each of his last two starts, a combined 12 innings there, six walks in that time span. He is someone that he sometimes gets a little bit loose with the control. Now with the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that they certainly aren't generating a lot of offense right now. Nolan Arenado is out for the year. You've got Kevin Pillar is doing a little bit of something. He, Trevor Story, Remy Altapia, only between a 288 and a 300, and then you've got Charlie Blackman and Josh Fuentes hitting just above a 300, but as we know, Colorado at home hits significantly better, north of 50 points higher than they do on the road, and for Garrett Hampson, been an up-and-down year, but he's now hitting right around 250, but what I like about this Colorado Rockies team is the bullpen has been pretty solid. Guys like Jario Diaz are able to come in, and they're able to give you some solid innings. They wind up picking up Michael Givens at the deadline. 
well, they were giving away a little bit too much than they probably should have because they're not going to make the postseason, but certainly has been solid. And for the San Francisco Giants, Logan Webb gave the team a solid five and a third inning, so that's something nice. You're going to have a guy like a Tony Watson that's going to be available. But with that said, for San Francisco, they're currently dealing with an injury to Mike Yastrzemski. He did not wind up playing in the game on Wednesday, but you still have Austin Slater, Adam Dickerson, Donovan Solano, Brandon Belt, all these guys hitting a 300 grader. Mauricio Dubon, former Milwaukee Brewers prospect, is hitting a 290. He winds up going deep on Wednesday. Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, all these guys have been able to do a solid job, but I do think that the Colorado Rockies are going to be able to get a little bit of something out of Chichi Gonzalez. Now, 753 ERA, not necessarily terrific. The eight walks, something that you would like to see a little bit better of, but in his last start against the LA Dodgers at Coors, he winds up giving up three runs over the course of five innings. That's a pretty solid outing, in my opinion. His ERA got completely jacked up when he wound up coming in for a start against the Padres, and he gave up four runs while just getting one out. That was absolutely terrible, but with that said, I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job of being able to hold down the fort. He's a good, I guess you could call it a little bit more of a curveball, try to get soft contact guy, and with Mikey Strumsky out of the fold, I think that there's a valuable opportunity here for the Colorado Rockies to play spoiler. So, we are going to be taking the plus price here with the Rockies, and I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game with both of these offenses, so we're going to be taking this a little under as well. 953-954 on the betting board is up next. Washington Nationals are going to be playing also the New York Metropolitans. David Peterson, great last name, going for the New York Metropolitans. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin is on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Tallens game is 9, under is just a minus 115, over is minus 105. And this is a relatively pick'em game here. If you take a look at the bets, anywhere between minus 104 and minus 112 is what you're laying. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Washington Nationals, you're going to be getting as good as even money, as low as minus 110. So, like I said, relatively pick'em game here. And for Patrick Corbin, he has certainly have been able to pick out a bad season for him. It just has not went right. He's currently got a record of 2-6, 476 ERA. He's been hurt by the deep ball a little bit. Nine home runs give it up in 58 and two-thirds innings. The 15 walks certainly have not been unsightly, but you take a look at him recently. He has given up five-plus runs in two out of his last three starts, but keep in mind, he's also had to go up against the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies in four out of his last five starts, so this is actually probably going to be a little bit of a relief for him. He still has been able to get some strikeouts recently, at least six of them in each out of his last three starts. Now he's backed up by a bullpen that's absolutely terrible. And for the New York Mets, guys like Jason Shreve, Jurisic Familia, Edwin Diaz, they've actually been solid out of the bullpen, and David Peterson has been up and down so far this year. In his last two starts, he's given up a combined three runs over the course of 11 innings against the Toronto AK Buffalo Blue Jays on the road and the Atlanta Braves, but start before that, he got shelled by the Philadelphia Phillies, giving up five and two innings. Has been a year of varying results, and what I don't like about Peterson, 23 walks in 42 and two-thirds innings, so that's going to elevate his pitch count, get him out of the game a little bit earlier. For the Washington Nationals, this is certainly a team that has squandered a lot of opportunities with men in scoring position. It's just been all year for them, but they do have a bunch of guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. Juan Soto, Trey Turner down for what? Andrew Stevenson, along with Luis Garcia, and even Jake Knoll, their younger infielder. All these guys are hitting a 290 or higher. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of some of these other guys, like a Jan Gomes, Brock Holt ever since he came into the organization. He's been solid. Both of these guys hitting a 270 plus with their time in Washington. Josh Harrison hitting a 250. So, you've got some guys you're able to rely upon. And for the New York Mets, this has also been a very solid offense as well. Brandon Nimmo has an on-base percentage that's hovering right around a 400. Then you've got a bunch of guys that are hitting above a 300 for this team. Dom Smith, Robinson Cano, don't you know he's 
who's going to be on this list. Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil. All these guys doing a great job, including Luis Galorme. They've been able to get something out of Andres Jimenez, along with Amit Rosario as well. These are guys hitting between a 250 and a 265. Now with Pete Alonso, he's hitting a 210, but he has been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs, so he's been able to do that, although obviously this year has not gone as planned for him, but I do think that we are going to be seeing the best form of Patrick Corbin in this spot. I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a lower game as a result. I do think that Peterson is pitching solid, but I think that the walks are going to catch up with him a little bit. I think that the Nationals are going to do a better job of hitting with Penn in scoring position than, quite frankly, they've done all year. So for that reason, we're going to be taking this total under, and we are going to be taking the Washington Nationals at right around that pick ish price. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board is up next. The Cleveland Windians are going to be playing host to the Chicago White Sox. Dallas Keuchel is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, Zach Plesak is on the bump for the Indians. If you're looking at the Indians, they're a slight favorite here. Anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with the Shy Sox, as anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115 totals range between 7.5 and 8. On the 7.5, overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between minus 105. And even if you're looking at the 8, under is minus 120. Over is even. And with Dallas Keuchel, he came off the injured list a few days ago, and he looked solid. He wound up going four innings, giving up one run. That was actually the second start that he had since the beginning of the 2019 season that did not go 5+, plus, but he has certainly been great this year, keeping the ball in the yard. Two home runs given up in 57 and a third innings. Swing him himself, only 39 strikeouts. And for Zach Polisak, he has been a rock as well. He has given up seven home runs so far this year, but he has a 0.58 whip, buck 85 ERA. He has given up four walks in 48 and two-thirds innings. That's not the best in the league. That's certainly not far from it been absolutely superb what he's been able to do. He had that rough start against the Minnesota Twins in which he gave up five of his 10 earned runs of the year in, but Pat said he has given up one run or fewer in his other three starts since coming back from just the COVID-related off-the-field incident, which it certainly was not necessarily solid. And then when you take a look at the series in general, you have been able to get just a little bit of something out of this Cleveland Indians team. How about Jose Ramirez? He now has 17 home runs. He's been able to give this team right around a 285 batting average, 378 on base, and then he's backed up by Francisco Lindor, Cesar Hernandez, and Framil Reyes, only between a 269 and and a 279 to Lionel DeShields Jr. And right around 260, he's got great wheels. Now you got quite a few guys that they need to pick it up with regards to batting average. Jordan Luplo winds up winning that game on Wednesday with his walk-off home run. Roberto Perez, Austin Edges, Oscar Mercado, Carlos Santana, the DFA Domingo Santana, Sandy Leon, all these guys hitting a 200 lower. I will say this for Carlos. 350 on base despite the buck 97 batting average. Now, Taylor Naquin, his average is sinking. It's now at a 224, 250 on base, so he's doing a whole lot of nothing for the team. And then you look at the White Sox. Bunch of guys that do a great job of getting on base. Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Nick Madrigal, all these guys are hitting above a 320 for this team. So they've certainly been able to get the job done. Yomer Sanchez, James McCann, along with Eli Jimenez, hitting between a 275 and a 295 as well. Adam Engel in that fold as well. Now, Luis Robert, only getting a 220. We know that he plays the field very well and he's got some pop, but he certainly has been in a little bit of a slump after a good start to the year. Yohan Makata hitting in that neighborhood as well, but I do think that this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Cleveland Indians just because with Dallas Keuchel, I do think that the fact that he doesn't necessarily get a bunch of swing and misses are going to be coming back to him. Now, you're going to have guys like Matt Foster, Steve Ciszek and company in the bullpen for the White Sox, so I think that they're going to be able hold down the fort. For the Cleveland Indians, James Karinczak wound up getting used up on 
Wednesday, so you can't think that you're going to have him, but Oliver Perez, Phil Meaton, they've been roughed up a little bit recently, but I think they'll be in peak form, and I think that Plesak is probably going to go seven strong, so we're going to be taking the Indians and the total under. We move on to 957-958 on the betting board. And this is the lone game that is currently off the board. Toronto Blue Jays playing against the New York Yankees. It is Jordan Montgomery going for the New York Yankees. Hun Jin Ru is going to be on the bump for the Toronto Blue Jays. No numbers right now. And for Ru, he has been absolutely terrific this year. 15 walks and 6 home runs given up in 60 innings. 68 strikeouts, which that's not necessarily a specialty typically. Typically, he's sitting more around like 7.5, 8 strikeouts per 9 innings. He's sitting north of 10 right now. So you have to love what he's been able to bring to the table there. And a lot of his runs given up were in the first like 3 or so starts in which he spent with this team. He has given up 2 runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts, and in all four of those starts, he has been able to go six-plus innings, so I like what he's doing there. He certainly has been hit a little bit by the New York Yankees as the lone start in which he gave up more than two runs in that five-start stretch. He gave up three bombs and five total runs and five innings against the New York Yankees, but team still won that start. I mean, this is a Toronto Blue Jays team that they are backed up by some very good bats. Now, Rowdy Tellez has been on the injured list for quite a while for this team, but you've got quite a few guys that have been a little bit more consistent recently for this bunch. You've got Boba Shett along with the Oscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel hitting between a 298 and a 308. All these guys with an on-base between a 336 and a 347. Kevon Biggio along with Flagger Jr., Randall Gritchick are in between a, about a 249 and I would say up to a 264. You've also got Travis Shaw, Joe Panic. They're hitting more in that neighborhood of about a 230 but both of these guys have been able to get on base as well. You do have to like the fact that Oscar Hernandez has 15 plus home runs as well. They've been able to get a little bit more of the Catcher spot, Danny Jansen winds up going deep twice against the New York Yankees on Wednesday. Alejandro Kirk had a 4-8 game a couple days ago for the Yankees. No doubt, they've got all their pieces back. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton are back in full. Gio Rochelle is hitting a 300. He's back. Now you've got Gary Sanchez, who's not doing anything along with Tyler Wade. Brett Gardner has not necessarily been having the best of years. Aaron Hicks hitting a 225-ish as well. Mike Talkman's hitting a 240. But you've got Luke Voigt with 21 home runs right now. He has been absolutely terroristic. You've got to love the fact that Clint Frazier has been able to get some more at-bats and he's been able to take them and run with them. He has been amazing as well with the 280 batting average. He's hitting bombs. I do think that if you're seeing a total that's really south of 9.5, I'm going to be taking a look at it over. Double digits, that's when I'm really going to be taking a look at the under because with Jordan Montgomery, this is someone that has been up and down all year long. He's got a 5-1-2 ERA. The team has won each out of his last two starts, but they had lost his previous three as in his previous three, he had won three and a third innings against the Toronto Blue Jays, giving up two runs, but he had to evade a lot of danger, giving up six hits in the process. He went two-thirds of an inning, giving up four runs against the Tampa Bay Rays, and then he went five strong against the Mets, but gave up three runs, two of which were earned. Last two starts, he has given up a combined four runs, while being able to go a little bit over ten innings, ten and a third innings, so it certainly has been a very much interesting year for him. He has given up six home runs and nine walks at 38 and two-thirds innings. And the bullpen for the Yankees, it certainly is solid with guys like Aroldis Jamin and company, but it just feels like they haven't necessarily been the same. So in like a pick ish price, I'd probably be taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. I think that they might be a slight favorite here, and I would still take them there. It certainly is one of those things in which if I'm getting massive plus money on the Yankees, I'd be looking at that. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jarrett's 41, but that's sort of my lean on this one. 959-960 on the betting board is up next. Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing on the Chicago Cubs. Alec Mills is going to be going for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Jack Gould's on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Total on this game is 9. Under is minus 115. Over is minus 105. If you take a look
look at the Buckos, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 160 and plus 170. If you're looking to lay it with the Cubbies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. For Alec Mills, it has been the best of times and it has been the worst of times this year. This is someone that wound up pitching a no-hitter about a week and a half ago against the Milwaukee Brewers. And this is also someone that enters with a 4-1-4 ERA and giving up 10 home runs at 58 and two-thirds innings. I mean, he has been all over the place. He's had two absolutely magnificent starts in his last five, and then he's given up four-plus runs in the other three. So, I mean, it's just one of these things in which you're either going to get absolutely tremendous Alec Mills or really bad Alec Mills. And the last time he faced up against the Buccos, he wound up giving up four runs over the course of five innings. And we know this. This is a Pittsburgh Pirates team that... They're not generating any offense whatsoever right now. You do have someone that I like in Cabrian Hayes. He was one of the top prospects for this team coming into the year. He's been hitting above a 300. He's been absolutely magnificent for this bunch. Kyle Moran has been able to give you right around a 240 to a 245-ish, along with Eric Gonzalez. And for Kyle Moran, he has been able to give this team a double-digit amount of home runs. But then you got Adam Frazier, Gregory Polanco, Jose Azuna, JT Riddle, along with a little bit of a younger gentleman in Jared Oliva, John Ryan Murphy, Need I go on if guys are in a 220 or lower for this team? And it's not like their on-base percentage is really good either. Jacob Selling sitting at 255 has been solid as well. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I will say, they've gotten some very good long relief out of Nick Tropiano. You've got a couple guys like a Sam Howard that have been solid out of the bullpen. And for the Chicago Cubs over the last three days, their bullpen ERA is in the top six of the league. So they've actually been pretty superb with that regard. But then Anthony Rizzo, the guy that wanted driving in the lone run of the game for the Chicago Cubs, he's hitting a 221. And then all these guys... Guys, they are hitting a 228 or lower. You've got Nico Horner, Javi Baez, Billy Hamilton, David Bodie, Jose Ramirez, Kyle Schwarber, Billy Hamilton, Chris Bryant. list goes on and on. It has been terrible. I mean, Jason Kipnis and Ian Happ. Both of these guys hitting between a 252 and a 257 with on-base percentages between a 350 and a 360. They, along with Jason Hayward, have been the best players for this team so far when it comes to a lineup standpoint. Wilson Contreras, Victor Carantini, both hitting in the neighbor of a 240. Just has been very lackadaisical for the Chicago Cubs. I just don't know who's going to be able to score a whole heck of a lot in this spot. Although I will say Alec Mills has not necessarily been terrific. This could be what gets him back online. And for Jack Gould... He has been up and down all year as well, but I will say this, he's really been hurt by the fielding. In two out of his last four starts, he has given up unearned runs. As a result, he has given up three earned runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts, but he's given up four-plus runs overall in three out of his last four. So I do think the fielding is going to be a little bit better for Mr. Cool. He has been giving out a couple too many walks, 25 and 39 and a third innings, but last time he wanted to face the off against the Chicago Cubs, it went to extras. They weren't able to pull it out from there, but I think he's going to be able to put his team in a good position. I think that the Pirates are going to be able to hit Mills a little bit more than Cool. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be riding with the plus price here of the Buckos. 961-962 on the betting board is up next. The Atlanta Bravos, they're going to be playing us to the Miami Marlins. Pablo Lopez goes for the Marlins. Meanwhile, Ian Anderson is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at a 9.5, we're seeing one of those out there as well. The under is minus 120. The over is even. With the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180. Meanwhile, the plus price here with the Miami Marlins is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 165. For Mr. Lopez, it has certainly been all over the place for him so far this year. 5-4 record, 3.96 ERA. Done a great job of limiting our contact. Four home runs given up in 52 and a third innings, but I will say this. He's had a couple rough starts recently in two out of his last four starts. He has given up at minimum five runs. And the last time he faced off against the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Braves scored 29 runs. 
I will step out on a limb and say that the Atlanta Braves score fewer than 29 runs in this game. But then you take a look at Ian Anderson. He's given up one home run in 26 and two-thirds innings. He's got a 236 ERA. I wasn't necessarily impressed by him at the minor league level, and I do think that he is doing for some regression. 14 walks have been issued by him in about 26 and two-thirds innings. You take a look at his most recent start against the New York Mets. Four and two-thirds innings, he gave up three runs. A little bit indicative of that as he has walked at least three batters in each out of his last three starts. So that is certainly very concerning. You can tell that the Braves have a little bit of a short leash with them. But for the Atlanta Braves, they now no longer have Cole Hamels, who they were trying to bank on for the postseason. So they are going to be a little bit thin with this rotation. Max Freed winds up pitching one inning. So as a result, Shane Green wound up having to get used up on Wednesday. Luke Jackson is going to be out of the fold. You have a little bit more of a long reliever in Grant Dayton as well that was used up. So it's going to be a little bit of a cobbled up mess. But we know this with the Atlanta Braves. Hitting is certainly not an issue for this team. Travis Arno, Freddie Freeman, Marcel Zuna, all hitting a 320 or higher for this team. And you've got a Denny Echeverria, Dansby Swanson, both hitting in the neighbor of a 275. Adam Duvall has been able to give this team 16 home runs. Ronald Cunha Jr., 417 on base, 260 batting average, double-digit amount of home runs. Ozzie Albies now hitting nearly a 300. This is a very powerful lineup. And for the Miami Marlins, this is a sneaky lineup. Miguel Rojas is hitting right around a 320 on base percentage north of a 400. He's been terrific. Jesus Aguiar has been trying to prove that he's not just a one-hit wonder with the Milwaukee Brewers. He, the Marte Parte of Starling Marte, along with Garrett Cooper, all in between a 280 and a 290. All these guys with north of a 345 on base as well. Brent Anderson hitting nearly a 270. Corey Dickerson, more around a 265. Lewis Brinson at 260. So, you've got a bunch of guys for the Marlins that are able to get on base. I do think that regression is going to set in for Ian Anderson in the spot. I think that Pablo Lopez is going to be able to give a pretty decent start in this one. I think that he probably goes something like six innings, giving up two to three runs, and then from there, the Miami Marlins bullpen of guys like Emi Garcia, Brian Kitzler, and company are going to be able to close the doors. We're going to be going with this total under, and I'm going to be riding the plus price here with the Miami Marlins. 963-964 on the betting board is up next. Baltimore, he'll sit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Martin Perez is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Alex Cobb is on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. Total on scam range between 9.5 and, and 10. And this is crazy. 9.5. The over is anywhere between minus 120, minus 135. Under is anywhere between even and plus 115 on the 10. Your under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Boston Red Sox, laying anywhere between minus 140, minus 145. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 135. For Alex Cobb, you wound up getting off to a very nice start to the year. Ever since then, he has fizzled a little bit, and I will say Martin Perez has actually been halfway decent for the Boston Red Sox, but I do fear that the 27 walks of 58 innings are going to nip him in the butt a little bit. He's only gotten 44 strikeouts in that time span as well. Then you take a look at Alex Cobb. He's given up 8 home runs for 45 and a third inning, 16 walks. Not much of a swing and miss guy either with 34 of them, but I will also say this for Alex Cobb. He wound up having a good start against the Tampa Bay Rays. Team lost 2-1, to one, but he gave up 2 runs over the course of 6 innings. He's done a better job of limiting the hard contact. One home run or fewer given up in four out of his last five starts. So he's been able to hold it in there. Last time he wound up facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Gave up two runs in five innings. And that was a home start in which the team was able to win. And when you take a look at this Baltimore Orioles team, you know that the bats really just ran out of fuel the last couple weeks. It's been a little bit unfortunate to see. They have now scored three runs or fewer in, I believe, each out of their last five games. And if you're looking a little bit further, six out of their last seven. But... You still have guys that are able to get on base for this team. Ryan Mountcastle hitting above a 300 along with 
A little bit of a newer infielder in Ramon Urias. You've got Pat Vileka along with Renato Nunez, both hitting between a 250 and a 265 throwing their Cedric Mullins as well. DJ Stewart wound up having seven home runs in like a two week span. He has cooled off. He's eyeing a 208, but 371 on base. The Chancisco is very much the same way. 220 batting average, 371 on base. The say is good. Austin Hayes has been able to hit a 260 for this team. Answer Alberto has been in a fold. Jose Iglesias looks like his season is done, so I spent a little bit of a bugaboo for this team. I'm for the Boston Red Sox. Alex Verdugo very silently hitting a 328 with a 383 on base. He has been terrific on a team that, let's face it, they have not been terrific, but he's got a couple other pieces that are starting to step up for this team. Christian Arroyo, Bobby Dahlbeck, Jackie Bradley Jr., Xander Bogarts, along with Rafael Devers, all in between a 290 and a 265 for Dahlbeck. He has been able to provide some very good power. He wound up having a stretch of like seven games in which he had five home runs, so he was doing a good job there. Now, Michael Chavis, along with J.D. Martinez, Taewon Lin, all these guys are in at 220 or lower, but you certainly have been able to get something out of the Boston Red Sox lineup. I will say the bullpen has been better recently. Phillips Valdez is going to be available for this game. Now, a guy like Josh Osich was traded away at the trade deadline along with Heath Embry and Brandon Workman, but they've been able to find a couple nice pieces that have been able to do a solid job for the Baltimore Orioles. They're in the top down when it comes to bullpen ERA. Guys like Hunter Harvey are going to be available along with Tanner Scott, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under here. I think that Alex Cobb a little bit undervalued in this spot, so we're going to be taking the Baltimore Orioles to go along with that under. 965-966 on the betting board is up next. The Kansas City Royals are going to be playing off to the Detroit Tigers. Michael Fulmer is going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, Chris with the game, Boobich, is hoping to set a Boobich trap on the Detroit Tigers, and he is going to be playing host for the Kansas City Royals. If you're looking at the Royals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Tigres, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 140. Total on this game is 9.5 with a 9.5 over and under, both at minus 110. For Michael Fulmer, he has been used as a pseudo-opener all year long, and boy, he has opened up Pandora's box to giving up a bunch of runs. 8.17 ERA. I always say that if your whip would make for a Pretty good bench press number for a set of 10. You're not doing well. I wish I could bench a buck 97 for a set of 10. This is someone that's also given up seven home runs at 25 and a third innings. He's given up 12 walks. I will say, in two out of his last four opens, he's given up zero runs. But in the other two, he went a combined five innings, giving up nine runs. So... I mean, it certainly has been very much hit or miss. Typically, Daniel Norris winds up coming in and holding down the fort. I think it might be Taylor Alexander in this one. Norris has been used a little bit more recently, but for Alexander, he's got an ERA that's hovering right around a 4-5. He's actually been relatively solid. I like him. And for Bubich, he has seen every one of his starts go under so far this year because the team can't generate runs for him to save his life. Four runs or fewer in every one of Bubich's nine starts. So congratulations, Kansas City Royals, on letting him down. I will say, in regards to letting him down, he's also let the team down a little bit. 19 walks and 45 and a third inning, certainly not getting the job done. He has given up six home runs, so it hasn't necessarily been terrible. And I will say this, two earned runs or fewer given up in each out of his last four starts. There was a start against the White Sox in which there were three unearned runs, but he's actually been doing a relatively solid job recently. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a bunch that has Salvador Perez absolutely mashing. He might be one of the more underrated players out there in the American League. He wound up missing a little bit of time, but he still has 10 home runs. Hitting a 356 with an on-base that is hovering right around a 370-ish. Whit Merrifield has been doing a great job. He, Mikel Franco, and Cam Gallagher hitting between a 280 and a 285. But then you've got the famine bats on this team. Nicky Lopez, Nick Heath, Alex Gordon, Ryan O'Hearn, Adelberto Mondesi. How about other guys like a Mabriz Valoria? 
getting a 215 or lower for this team. Ed Oliveras has been able to hit a 250 though. You've got Hunter Dozier with a 360 on base, 241 batting average. He hasn't necessarily been able to hit for a ton of power. Or Ace Hilaire is back. He's only getting a 224, but he's still drawing walks as well. So that's been very fascinating. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Detroit Tigers. They wound up scoring six runs against the Minnesota Twins. If you wound up having the Twins run line, they were certainly able to spoil that. And for the Tigers, Victor Reyes has been able to do a good job of getting on base for this team, along with Jamir Candelario and Willie Castro and Errol Castro as well. With all these guys except for Reyes, they're all hitting above a 300 for Victor Reyes, a 280. You've got Miguel Cabrera now firing all cylinders when it comes to power, nine home runs. Only need a 241, but a 325 on base. Nico Goodrum, along with Des Cameron, along with Eric Haas, Grayson Griner, only need a 200 or lower, but. After a very much tough start to the year, Isaac Paredes is now hitting at 230. He's been able to come around a little bit. And with the Detroit Tigers, bullpen has not necessarily been terrific for this team, no question, but guys like Gregory Soto are going to be available as well. So I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring game, especially when you consider that the Kansas City Royals actually in the top eight when it comes to bullpen ERA. Guys like Tyler Zimmer, Along with Greg Holland, Scott Barlow, they've actually done a great job for this team. Jake Stamont. So I'm going to be taking a look at the total under, and I'm going to be taking the Kansas City Royals in this spot. 967, 968 on the betting board is up next, and this is the New York Post play of the day as the Houston Astros are going to be heading to Texas to face off against the Texas Rangers. Actually, they're still in the state of Texas regardless, but... They are now in the city of Arlington as it's going to be Lance Lynn going for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Christian Avier is going to be going for the Houston Astros. If you're taking a look at the Strohs, laying anywhere between minus 130 and minus 135. Your plus price here with the Rangers. Anywhere between plus 115 and plus 125. Your total on this game is 8. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even and minus 105. I do think that the low total is very warranted here because with Lance Lynn, he has been very, very good for this team. The team has went 7-5 and five whenever he started so far this year, so actually pretty rock solid. Whenever he doesn't start, they're 12 and 31. So that tells you how much he means to this team and for the Houston Astros. Christian Javier has been good. 333 RA, whip below one. Now he has given up 10 home runs in 48 and two-thirds innings, but he's been able to do a solid job of being able to get some swings and misses about a strikeout per inning. He was actually used a little bit as a reliever the last few weeks as well, as he has went a grand total of five innings or fewer in each out of his last three starts slash relief appearances, but across those three starts slash relief appearances, he has been able to accrue 11 innings. He's given up four runs in the process now, two home runs while he's done that, but still, he has been pretty rock solid for this team. I do like what he brings to the table. And guys like Andre Scrub, Umberto Castellanos, Brooks Raley, they've been solid out of the Houston Astros bullpen now for the Texas Rangers. They've gotten a little bit of something out of Mr. Rafael Montero. He has been solid. John Hernandez wound up getting used up in the team's loss on Wednesday, but he's actually been pretty good as well. But then you got Nick Goody, who wound up just completely lighting that game on fire. He's got a 90 ERA. Good news is, with him using 23 pitches on Wednesday, you're probably not going to be able to see him, so that's something that's very fortunate. But Jimmy Hergo has been used a little bit as an opener as well. But more concerning for the Texas Rangers, this team is not hitting to save their lives. Isaiah Kinnear Falefa, 335 on base, 290 batting average. He's been able to do a little bit of something for this team, but he's only got 10 RBI because there's nobody to drive in. Because you've got Sam Huff along with Anderson Tejada and Nick Solak, all guys hitting at 250 or greater. Then you've got Willie Calhoun, Joey Gallo, Elvis Andrews, Eli White, and then you get to Sheraton Espatel. All these guys hitting a 200 or lower. 
You had Sinchu Chu just out of the fold for quite a while. Looks like his season is done. I think you take a look at the flip side for the Houston Astros. This is a team that they're not getting any offense generated either. Three runs or fewer in nine out of their last 11 games. You think they're missing those trash cans right now? I certainly think so because you take a look at this team. Jose Altuve has been terrible this year. He's hitting a 215 with a 280 on base. So it's not even like he's drawing walks or anything like that. Yoli Gurriel is hitting a 240 with a 284 on base. Martin Maldonado, 346 on base, but he's hitting a 218. Miles Straw is hitting a 211. Josh Reddick is hitting a 233. Elie Diaz hitting a 240 along with Gurriel. Now, Carlos Correa is hitting more on a 260, but he's got four home runs so far this year. Alex Bregman is hitting a 241. I mean, really, Michael Brantley has been the main force for this team. He's hitting a 302. George Springer, more on a 250 with the double digit amount of home runs, but this team has been absolutely terrible. And for Lance Land, I like what I'm seeing with him. He has given up 10 home runs at 78 in the third innings, but 84 punch outs. Really, his long bad start came on the road against the Houston Astros. I think he's going to avenge that. I think that Lance Lynn is going to be able to give this team another good start. So we are going to be going with the plus price here of the Rangers and we're going to be going with the total under. 969-970 on the betting board is up next. You've got yourself the St. Louis Cardinals playing host to the Milwaukee Brewers. One Corbin Burns as I use my English accent because that's always the way that I think that his name should be pronounced. Is going to be going for the Milwaukee Brewers. Meanwhile, you've got former KBO legend Quan Young Kim going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 7.5. Over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Brew Crew, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 135. Plus price here with the St. Louis Cardinals. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120. And I'm going to be taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. I absolutely love what I've seen out of Corbin Burns. One home run given up in 56 innings. We were talking about it with our good buddy Jeff Parles. I mean, it's just unfortunate that Corbin Burns is not going to get more clout for the Cy Young. In his last five starts, he has given up one earned run, two total runs, and he has struck out at least seven in every one of them. This guy is mowing him down left, right, and sideways. Last time he wanted facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals, got a little bit happy with the walks, was pulled out after four and two-thirds innings, but still punched out ten. The game still went under, and for Kim, he wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it against the Pittsburgh Pirates in his last start. He wound up giving up two home runs, four total runs over the course of five and a third innings, but as a starter, he's given up six total runs, five of which were earned in a total of six starts, 10 walks and 34 innings. Swinging himself is not there. 21 punch outs, but fortunately for him, the Milwaukee Brewers do not seem to want to hit. I mean, you've got Daniel Vogelback, whoever sets coming to Milwaukee has been hitting above a 350. Obviously, Garcia wanted to gain three hits for the Milwaukee Brewers against the Reds on Wednesday. The rest of the team had a grand total of two, as you've got Christian Yelich along with Keston Yera. Eric Sogar, Jacob Nottingham, Omir Nervias, Chase Peterson, all in at 215 or lower. Jed Gurko has been arguably the best hitter for this team right now. 272 batting average, 9 home runs. He's been able to do the job for this team. Orlando Garcia, whenever he's been out there, is hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 245. But then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that they're really starting to sink with their batting average as well. And with them winding up losing their series against the Kansas City Royals and having a bunch of narrow escapes against the Pittsburgh Criers, it's exactly what I've been talking about on this podcast. It seems like they're just running out of gas right now. I mean, you've got Colton Wong, Tommy Edmond, Brad Miller, all in between a 242 and a 259-ish. You've also got Paul DeYoung in that neighborhood as well. All these guys have an okay on base, but then you've got a bunch of guys that they're just not doing anything whatsoever to be able to hit for average. You've got yourself Tyler O'Neill, Matt Carpenter, Ronel Rovello, Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader, all hitting a 210 or lower. I will say, 
for Bader, along with Matt Carpenter. Both of these guys have it on base as north of a 310, but Ben Ruff, Govett, Yadier Molina, hitting a 265 for Ball Goldschmidt, 306 batting average, 424 on base, but he has not necessarily been able to generate a bunch of home runs. Six or Fowler is back, but I don't think that that's going to make the difference for the Milwaukee Brewers. You're certainly going to have a bunch of weapons that are going to be able to come out of the bullpen. You're going to have Josh Vader available. You're going to have Devin Williams, who's going to be available. Now, Eric Yardley wound up getting used up, but this is a team that I think that they're going to be able to get seven strong out of Mr. Burns in this one. I think that the St. Louis Cardinals are also going to get a good start out of Kim, and that means that they're going to have a lot of their trustworthy bullpen arms available as well. I don't see any team really getting past three runs here, so I'm going to be taking this total under, but I think that in the end, Burns outduels Kim, so we're going to be going with the Milwaukee Brewers, and we wrap things up with 971-972 on the betting board. The swinging Oakland A's hit the road face off against the LA Dodgers. Walker Bueller is going to try to not have a day off, and he's going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Mike Straight fires on the bump for the Oakland A's. Total on this game is 9 with the 9. Your under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 205. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the A's is anywhere between plus 170 and plus 186. For Mike Straight fires wound up being what it typically is for him. He had a little bit of a rough start to the 2020 season, but man, has he really locked in ever since then. Three runs of fear were given up in now five out of his last six starts. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy, but he's been able to limit the walks. A grand total of six of them across his last four starts, three of which went six innings, one of which went five. So he's been able to do a superb job there. Never much of a punch-out guy with 34 punch-outs and 54 innings, but he's been doing a good job of keeping the ball in the yard as well. One home run given up over his last five starts. Meanwhile, for the Dodgers, this is obviously a team that hits a bunch of home runs, and for Walker Buehler, he has been significantly better at home than he has been on the road. At home, a buck 62 ERA. Away from home, 6.19. So that shows you the splits. He has made three starts at home so far this year, 16 and two-thirds innings. He has not given up a single home run, 23 strikeouts at 16 and two-thirds innings on the road. He gave up seven home runs at 16 innings. So that tells you the massive amount of splits there with the LA Dodgers. They did have to go into their bullpen a little bit on Wednesday for obvious reasons because they wound up having an opener come in for Mr. Julio Arias. So that means that Pursuer Gratal along with Blake Trine unable to be available for this game, but you do have for the LA Dodgers quite a few guys at the top that do a good job of being able to reach base. Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and Justin Dirt down for what are all in a 295 or higher, all with a 366 or greater on base for Seager and Betts. Both of these guys, 14 plus home runs so far this year. I will say this, you have a couple guys that they need to pick it up with their batting average a little bit. Kike Hernandez, Max Muncie, along with Cody Bellinger, Edwin Rios, are laying a 240 or lower, but I will say for Bellinger and Rios, now in the neighborhood of a 235 and a 240, so they're starting to get it going. Will Smith has been getting jiggy with a 275 batting average, nearly a 400 on base. AJ Pollock is hitting a 270. He's been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs, and then you do have to like the fact that you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Austin Barnes whenever he's been behind the dish as well, but for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they really scuffle with regards to batting average. I mean, you've got a bunch of guys that are right now just sort of in that holding pattern of between a 220 and I would say about a 242, Stephen Piscotti, Ramon Laureano. You've been able to get pretty much every single catcher in Sean Murphy along Jonah Heim in that fold. You've also got Mark Canna along with Marcus Simeon there. Now, Jake Lamb hitting a buck 92 for the year, but ever since he's come into Oakland, he's been able to do a better job in medals. It's such an intriguing story in that he's also hitting a buck 92, but he's got 14 home runs and 42 RBI. So he's been making his six count, and that's been the Oakland A's in general. This is a team that, when it comes to amount of runs created per hit, they're in the top three of the league. 
And this despite the fact that Chris with a K Davis and he got buck 85 for the team so far this year. Tommy himself has been able to stabilize at the leadoff spot with right around a 275. So I think that this is a good spot for the Oakland A's. You're going to have a lot more of your trustworthy bullpen arms available in this game as well. Now, they obviously had to use up a few of them to be able to hold down the fort and get the win against the LA Dodgers, but Liam Hendricks could conceivably come back on back-to-back days. Lou Trevino should be available. You should have Yasmero Batit, J.B. Wendell can as well. So I think that the Oakland A's should be able to get it done, and this is a very juicy price, especially with Walker Buehler having been skipped quite a bit this year and having only pitched 32 and two-thirds innings. you got to think that this might be a little bit of a ramp-up spot, and he might not be able to go necessarily too deep. So we're going to be taking the Oakland A's and the under in this spot, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Thursday. A big thanks to my good buddy Jeff Parles of Book at HQ for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you ever have any questions for the podcast, feel free to fire that into my Twitter timeline at GRS41 or leave an Apple Podcast review. Actually, please leave an Apple Podcast review. Rate five stars. That gets the word out about this podcast. Helps me do what I do a little bit easier. And you can also send in your questions, comments, concerns, beefs, what have you there. Hopefully you're all safe, all be doing well. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.